Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Welcome back to the Your Family Dog podcast. I'm your host, Tina Spring, and today I'm joined by my smart and pretty co-host, Julie Fudge-Smith, and one of our favorites at the podcast, Karen Deeds, who has finally moved I think two time zones closer to me than she was previously. So um, we, she and I were chatting. She uh, wrote an article and posted it on Facebook recently about the difference between training and behavior and how that manifests in the world. And I said, Karen, you should come on and you should really help us talk to families about this. Cause I think anyone who's, who does some behavior work and training work, one needs to know this and we don't, we kind of, we're all sexy about like, Ooh, we can teach sit and stay. And, but that sit and stay are only a piece of the puzzle. So I want to welcome Karen back to the year family dog podcast. And as is tradition, I turn my first question over to Julie. Okay. Well, Karen, once again, we are thrilled to have you back. I think you hold the record for the most number of visits, although it might be my sister might have had the same amount, but anyway, we're thrilled, absolutely thrilled to have you back. And since we're going to be talking about training and behavior, maybe we should start with some definitions. So why don't we talk a little bit about why it is that we need to address behavior when somebody thinks they're actually addressing a training problem. So to me, training is changing tendency. And behavior is changing emotion. Isn't it sexy? That's good, right? I like that. I like that very much. Very can you ex- I just came up with that. Yeah. Well, can you expound upon it? So what do you mean by tendency? So the tendency is if my dog is doing one thing and I wanted to do something else, you know, either they have a tendency that we like. So we're going to continue to reinforce that, reward that. So it gets stronger. If they're doing something I don't like, then I might want to change that and teach them something else. But this is where it gets into, but is training just a different behavior appropriate if there's underlying hardcore emotions about why they're doing that behavior that we don't like? If there is, that's where behavior modification comes in. And that's where addressing emotion first makes teaching them an alternative behavior easier and more successful. Because if you don't change the underlying reason and you only suppress it, you're suppressing, you're not changing. (laughs) And uh, that's everybody wants a quick fix nowadays, right? It's a drive through mentality. And um, like Tina alluded to, I did move to the Memphis, Tennessee area. And believe me, at my age, starting over was not the smartest decision, but here we are. And what I have found is that um, it's different here. Um, There's not near the relationship-based partnership between dog and human that I left behind. They are there, don't get me wrong. I just haven't found them yet or in the masses that I knew back in in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. 
they're there. Uh, I just spoke with a lady on the way up here that was just like, oh my gosh, I really need help. I don't want to hurt my dog, but my dog is doing this and I really am worried. And I'm like, okay, we can do this. And she says, but I really don't want to use anything harsh. I said, well, are you talking to the right person? Because I don't use anything harsh. So, um, so anyway, behavior modification is really about changing the emotion so that we can get the behavior that's more appropriate. And a lot of times, if you just change the emotion, the behavior goes away in the first place, right? It that was going to be my next question. <laughs> but the other thing I wanted to ask you too, when you're talking about suppressing the suppressing emotion, right? Some people may think I'm just teaching my dog how to control emotion. That's not really what you're doing. And suppressing an emotion doesn't take care of the emotion. It just pushes it down. Kind of, and, and somebody once described it to me is like putting, holding a beach ball under the water. You can hold it down just so long, but at some point it's going to come back out and it's not going to just gently bob to the surface. It's going to explode to the surface. And so would you say that that's true about emotions that we suppress in our dogs that we're not actually, if we don't change it to something more positive, it is just going to come back and it's going to come back under stress is going to come back bigger. One of two things will happen. It's either going to come back with, and you know how, what happens when you push a, a beach ball down under the water and you let go, it pops out of the water, right? And sometimes that will happen. But to use this analogy, if you keep it under long enough and suppress it long enough, maybe it deflates and it says, I quit. Obviously, it can't say anything, but but the philosophy is the the if it were an animal, the animal would learn, well, I don't have a choice, so I'm just going to learn helplessness. And any trainer yeah. or family that has had a dog come to them who has learned helplessness knows how awful that is. Yes. It is awful. It is just it's so horrible. hard. It's so hard to work with. And I see it constantly with the dogs who have gone on that two-week shock collar board and train, who now the dog that was worried about other dogs has just like given up and is a cusp of the dog they used to be. Something right. that was pretty easy to help a dog through now becomes a very big rehab project. And, and because it's the emotion isn't there, the emotion has been suppressed. Right. And, and along with the emotion being suppressed, the behavior has been suppressed. And sadly, a lot of people think that's okay. The end justifies the means. Um, and sometimes it's not even, it's not even man-made. I mean, there's a lot of suppression out there in the environment. That's true. Um, right. And um, you know, just think about the dogs that um, have never been around people. I don't know. Somebody I know happens to have a pot cake that, um, you know, is not known for being, you have two, all right, is not known for being the most overly socialized dog because they grew up on an island. Um, and so are they suppressed around people? Some of them will be, for sure. Um, but again, sometimes that goes back to genetics and lack of proper socialization and not just intimidation or suppression by 
a human hand. Um, so there's a lot of that. But that doesn't improve it, right? So if you Correct. already have a dog who's genetically yeah. predisposed to a lower level of sociability and less trust of humans, it turns out shocking them and putting a prong collar on them does not suddenly make them think handlers are safer. No, to interact I would, with. I would think not. I mean, and a lot of times I go back to, okay, if you're dating and, and God, thank God, I don't have to do that anymore. Uh, but well, you've got the dating, very best one. So I got a good one, didn't I? Um, and, and so you go back to that, that time and you think about, okay, so I'm living with somebody who won't let me leave the house or dating somebody who won't let me leave the apartment or won't let me, you know, go out with my friends. And that is pretty much, um, that's suppression, right? So it kind of ends up doing something to your psyche a little bit. Um, and then maybe you start to feel, well, I'm not good enough anyway. And it can be a really fast downhill spiral. Um, but so instead of that, I think that's where we need to focus as well is instead of thinking, uh, wow, this is what not to do. Let's talk about what we want to do. And cause that's the way I train. That's, I try to treat people that way as well. I'm, I'm probably better at treating dogs that way than I am people. And I'm, I'm a work in progress there. You know, I, I'm on a Facebook group uh, with a specific type of dog, and they're known for being very soft, sensitive, anxious messes, and uh, in my opinion. And um, somebody just posted about they adopted a dog and the dog won't come inside. And, uh, you know, of course, I post what I post, which is, well, let's try to address the underlying emotion that's causing this. And it's trust, it's fear. So we need to let make her less fearful. So I gave him some ideas and, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, one of those was certainly go talk to your veterinarian about anti-anxiety medication um, or something that can, can help reduce her anxiety and fears a little bit so that he has something more to work with. Um, and then, of course, three people said, oh, that's a terrible idea. Don't use drugs. I'm like, oh, wow. So it's just okay. drag him through the door a bunch of times and he'll get good at it. That, dog, that dog's got to learn to just go inside. And that's exactly what one of the persons suggested. And I'm like, okay, so it's a mentality that's strong out there in a lot of people. I mean, let's just look at the popularity of some certain, in I'm going to use this term, dog abuser, DD. You know who I'm talking about, I hope. Uh, I'm not going to say his name, wears weird costumes, big glasses, funky hats, uh, hangs dogs a lot. He's on TikTok. Uh, um, he has been banned in several places. I've, I've tried to avoid it. Yes. And you should. It's it's heart-wrenching. It is just... I just but can't. The followers, the followers are in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions. So that's... I uh, just cannot understand that. I, I can't either. It's... So it speaks, I'm going to say poorly, <laughs> to the human psyche about how people should treat animals. And, so it and ends up being more than that, right? It ends up with kids watching what the person does yes. and then deciding they can do that. Yes. And then the child's in danger. Yes. Or somebody does that with their dog. And when they get frustrated, they, goodness forbid, they're using harsh methods with their kids. And then we wonder... 
how we're getting these really hard people and really hard dogs. And I'm like, cause we're hard with them. And, and not only that is we, either we get hard or we get lack of respect. And I hate using the word respect because I don't want to, I can't make a dog respect me. I can't make any, either of you respect me. That just happens organically based on the relationship we've built via knowledge, via conversation, whatever. Um, But the fact that it's okay to hang a dog probably tells me it's probably okay to shoot a human. And that's exactly what we're seeing, right? Is it not? We're seeing a lot of violence in the world, especially the United States, because we're seeing a lot of violence in the animal world. Um, And it's been out there for a long time. And I think it's really important that we as animal advocates, and I keep using the word animal versus dog, because this isn't, I'm actually going to a horse seminar next month. Nice. And seeing, I know, wasn't that cool? And I don't even own a horse. No, did I own horses? Absolutely. I used to show uh, professionally, as a matter of fact. And, uh, but I'm going to this particular person because we've already had a conversation. I've been watching her for a couple of years now. And she's the first one that I actually heard talk about horses' emotions and their body language. And I went, honey, I need to meet you. That's, and so yeah, we're going to actually. It's becoming a bigger and bigger thing. It the should be goes- because the horse world is incredibly cruel and yeah. it's based on on sort of hundreds of years. Like my grandpappy did this and my great great grandpappy did well, this. We my have that in dogs too. And in parents, we do. Yeah. The yeah. horse world is so, really harsh. Yeah. Very, very and harsh. It, it is it is further behind than dogs, but it's also, I think, easier to abuse a dog than it is a yeah. horse. Yeah. Because um, at least the horse eat- gets a break in the pasture. Yes, they're not living in our home. So that's where we need to focus. If we really want a dog as a companion, we need to be a companion for the dog as well. Right? A dance partner. And a lot, uh, yeah. And a lot of that is about understanding emotion. Um, and this goes back to, you know, behavior modification is, is addressing the emotion. And so I want the dog to feel safe. Um, I did a webinar recently and I'm actually doing a class starting October one on confidence. And there's, there's not just, we're going to do the things to make your dog feel more confident. It's, we're going to also allow our dog to go have a safe place to sleep. Right. I mean, how many dogs don't have a safe place? Maybe their bed is close to the front door or close to the big, um, you know, bay window and people drive by or walk by with their barking dogs and their dog is barking back because, you know, he, he doesn't feel safe, perhaps. So maybe the it would be better to put the dog in a back quiet room where he can actually get some rest. Yeah. So that's a big deal. And the other one is just, um, you know, realizing that there's so many domains out there about how to address confidence and resiliency. And um, training is one of them. But even in training, we want to address the emotional aspect. So when I train, the first thing I try to do is is change the emotion. And and so in my training and doing B mod, uh, yeah, <laughs> there it, it's kind of like classical and operant conditioning, right? 
you're doing operant conditioning, but classical is always there. You know, love Bob Bailey. Bob, you know, Bob says, um, Pavlov is always on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. So, yes. And it's powerful. Okay. But we need yes. to define them. Yes, I was just going to say, yeah. let's define the difference between classical and operant know. conditioning. Okay. Yeah, because some so, people just don't know. So, let's do that. So, classical. Right. So classical conditioning is just making an association between one thing and another. And typically, when we're doing training, we might be making an association with a a, a marker. And this would be clicker training, for example. I, I rarely use clickers anymore. I just use verbal markers right. most of the time. And um, so this word means you get treats or food. And this word means you get streets. This mood word means you get food. This word means you get food. This word means you get to chase a toy. Those words start to matter. And granted, I use a multiple marker system where if I say a word like toss, I'm actually going to throw the food. Because for some dogs, chasing has its own emotional woohoo. I pray drive, work with the border collie once or twice. You want those suckers moving because they feel good when they're moving. Most so dogs feel better eating. when they're moving. Yes. And um, it's a good check of, are they ready to come back and re-engage? Yeah. Like, it's a, yeah. like, do they move and then leave? <laughs> right, right. Or do they joyfully they- come bouncing back to go ask me again? Ask me again. Can I, can I have some more, please? You know? Uh, may I have some more, please? Um, and then there's also a, another way I feed dogs. Because if I threw food more than twice for, let's say, a Great Pyrenees, they'd kind of go, lady, <laughs> why? You want to That's just not fun. <laughs> this is, it's punishing, right? right? So for that dog, it's punishing. So for them, I might go, hey, scatter. Here's five pieces of food. Stay here, eat five pieces of food, get a high rate of reinforcement, and you got to, you had to sniff to find them. And when a dog is sniffing, they're feeling better because that is influencing the seeking system, which is in the prefrontal cortex part of the brain, which means the limbic system is changing. And I know that's way too technical, but basically your dog likes to sniff. It makes them happy. So that's one of the... It makes them happy. And that's a great way to look at it is, yeah, when my dog sniffs, especially my Labrador, uh, he loves to sniff. I like to sniff, mama, especially if it's food. Because they can't see what's directly in front of their nose. Their eyes don't work like that. So they kind of have to go, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. Right? That So that's actually slowing them down mentally as well as physically. And that's giving them a chance to go, I got a break. I took a chance for that dog that needs that break. For the dog that goes, can we move now? Can we move? I'm going to toss food. For a dog that is, yeah, doesn't need any of that. I'm going to, hey, dude, here's a, here's a cookie from my hand. You feeling good? He's, yeah, I'm feeling good now. I ate a cookie. That's all I need. But some dogs need more than that. So I'm changing, be, changing motion by simply the way I feed. And, and so that is one thing I use during training. So I totally got off topic about the question of what is the right, difference between and operant and <laughs> operant conditioning. That was all classical conditioning. I say a word, you get food. I say a word, you get food. Pretty soon, guess what happens? That word has meaning. 
Well, guess what? We can do the same thing. Oh, there's a scary bus. Here's a cookie. There's a scary bus. Here's a cookie. There's a scary bus. Here's a cookie. And pretty soon the dog goes, oh, I like the scary bus because I get a cookie. So that's classical conditioning. We're not expecting any behavior from the dog. But oftentimes what happens is the dog dog doesn't have to earn it. You're just building an association. You're just building. It's an association process. That's exactly. It's associative learning, respondent learning, classical conditioning, whatever you want to call it. It's It's Pavlov's dog. It's it's Pavlov's dog. Ring the bell, feed the dog. Ring the bell, feed the dog. Ring the bell. Oh, my God. They start salivating in anticipation of the food, right? So that's classical conditioning. Now, offering is okay. You have to do this to get that. You have to earn it, like Tina said. So I use grandma's rule of this and that. When you make your bed, then we'll go to the pool. It's an if-then statement. It is. But to me, that is actually the pre-mac principle. That's well, that's also pre-mac. Absolutely. Right. That's right. just going to say, I think we just pre somebody. <laughs> we just pre-mac it. Exactly. We totally did. Um, so pre-mac so- is, cl- is, is, is operant conditioning. Is what you're saying. Uh, but instead of using would, food, you're using behavior, right? The reward correct. is the behavior. So the operant condition also requires rewards, but it also requires an interaction on the part of the of the participant. Our volunteer for today needs to participate yes. in order to gain the reward, whatever that may be. Right. Whether it's it's and a behavior they want to do. And right. I think if you look at all training to a certain degree, it is, I guess it could be considered pre-Mac-ish. Probably. I just made up a new word, yeah. premackish. I like that. Um, we should put that on a t-shirt. Uh, and I'm sure all the, science, the, all the scientists out there are going to go, that lady just needs to be quiet. They'll be fine. But that's okay. <laughs> They'll just We're in the kitchen up. table. We're not. That's in, right. We're not. At we are not. Does anybody we're see not, Of course, this is all. This is, there's no chalkboards. There's no whiteboards here. Nobody's drawing anything. Right. Well, and part right. of the reason I'm resistant to the vocabulary piece is that it's distance increasing to the learner. I want to make this as easy for anybody driving their car to absorb this information kind of partway through their head while they're driving. Be careful. Right. And to to go, oh, and not to have to carry some big textbook definition. Yes. I had that appointment yesterday. But we don't want that. Right. You know, I I did that appointment yesterday. I had a client and she was new to marker training completely. So I basically told her, your dog needs to feel good about doing this first emotion. And then we need your dog to want to do it. Operant conditioning. I'm going to offer this behavior to earn the reinforcement. And um, that was my client yesterday. And we went very basic, very you know, no, I don't know if I use classical and opera conditioning once in our right. in our, our our lesson. Now, tomorrow's lesson, oh, honey, this woman has done a lot of training. She's a science. She's a psychiatrist. Uh, is probably going to get talk all the language. I get to talk all the good stuff that I like to talk about, which I probably you know will will mess up, but that's okay. But anyway, you're right. So. If you have a dog that feels good, and I'm going to go back to dogs now, I guess. But if you have a, an animal dog that feels good, they're going to they're going to buy in, right? Well, they're, they're, that, go, they're all hey. tricks. 
right? Yeah, Whether it's absolutely. sit or down or roll over or bark or fetch or it's get on the sofa. To, it's all just behavior. It's all trick to them. Yes. There's, so that, it's kind of like they're all weeds. Some of the weeds we pay a lot of money for and we protect. And other weeds we pay a lot of money to get removed. Yes. But they're all yes. weeds. Oh, that's cool. And and that there's that tendency word again, because if my dog has a tendency to lay on the sofa and I'm good with that, I'm going to reward that. But if my dog has a tendency to lay on the kitchen table, personally, I wouldn't care. Okay. I'm glad but, Mr. didn't hear uh, that. So if that tendency for your dog to get on the, to, to lay on the table and you don't like that for whatever reason, um, <laughs> I don't think I, I I probably have about four that would be able to get up there absolutely very happily. Um, they have never had an opportunity, obviously. But if that's a tendency that you don't like, let's look at it a couple of different ways. Why is your dog getting on the kitchen table? Is it so well, he can the look sugar out the bowl window? was there? Well, there was that. So remove the sort of sugar bowl, right? Put She's short. So there's that. Or let's say there was a dog that was laying on the kitchen table so he could look out the the window and see all the dogs yeah. going by, right? So what's the motivation for the dog living on the uh, living sleeping on the kitchen table or going to the kitchen table? Well, maybe we change that, and all of a sudden the dog goes, "Okay, fine, I'll just lay over here on the sofa." Cool. So it's not even always about training, right? Right. It's sometimes yeah. it's just make a few changes in the environment. And the dog changes. Okay. It happens in our interactions with people. If if someone's upset and I'm like, tell me more about that. I can usually go down the lane far enough to figure out where that miscommunication happened. Guess Correct. what? None of those people were like, I'm going to do something awful to my dog today. Like, I don't know anybody who wants to do that. So I don't either. Just yes. They sometimes don't understand. And it's my job to understand, not theirs. And then to help them. Well, um, it's it's not like I haven't lost a few things off the counter or I, I mean, considering my husband, pretty much his first use our dog pretty much almost burned his house down. There's that. Right. So, yeah, um, he was clunking a tennis ball in her. I, literally the first day he brought this dog home from the shelter. And high drive dog wants to play balls. He's sitting on the sofa on the telephone, clunking a tennis ball into this dog's hollow head, clunk, clunk, clunk. Well, he missed or she missed and it went behind the entertainment center. So she went behind the entertainment center and it knocked over the TV, brand new TV, and it burst into flames, which then caused the Holy carpet to get on fire. The, <laughs> the smoke detector to, to go off fire. so all the dogs become sound sensitive. This sounds uh, like no, a Saturday Night Live skit. <laughs> this is the, I mean, you have no idea what this dog's done. Right. So anyway, so he runs into the kitchen. He gets the fire extinguisher. He pulls the plug because this is, you know, 2000, and 2000. So he pulls the plug and he starts spraying it. She grabs the end of the fire extinguisher out of his hand and starts shaking it and hitting her head with the tank. And he goes, well, that didn't work well. So he, so, and now the smoke is now right down probably about halfway into his, in his living room. So he's, so he runs to the bathroom and he gets towels and he throws them in the toilet to, to get them wet. Not smart water and electrical fires, not a good thing. But anyway, so he did it and he starts, you know, 
dousing the or uh, you know covering the fire with the the towels and and of course she grabs one and plays tug and he's putting the fire out and eventually he did get the fire out and of course with the one first arm. thing he thought the first thing he thought was I have a disaster dog not one that makes disasters but that <laughs> well, one that can work in a disaster but she was the best house dog she ended up being the best house dog She'd lay on the sofa. She'd walk around. Now, granted, we couldn't have anything on the counters because, I mean, these dogs were taught to jump on things. And uh, we couldn't even put anything on top of the refrigerator because that was fair game, too. So when we're talking about the quintessential family, which is who you speak to, um, who has a new dog, one of the things that we need to do is, is, is give them something to satisfy their natural temperament let me use the word right. temperament versus natural urges because that sounds funny um but their temperament what is this dog what you know what is it like to do most dogs like to eat so that's the first thing i do and then we can give them jobs about how they eat and this goes all the way back to i don't know that first or second uh podcast that i did with you all about enrichment um but again there are so many dogs that you know they can't eat off out of a a metal bowl on the tile floor because it's scary. Yeah. Right? Right. I, I mean, I, I see a lot of dogs that are, are yeah. that way. Um, and um, people just don't understand, why, why is my dog so stupid? Well, your dog is not stupid. Your dog is fearful. Or my dog is so stubborn. That's my favorite. I have a really oh my stubborn goodness. dog. I'm like, yeah. I just I'm like, you know what? In 35 years, I've never met a stubborn dog. So, I, just, I mean, maybe I just, yours is the yeah. first one. Like we call them names when they don't learn the way we want them to learn. And that just means, of course, that we don't understand what they're going through emotionally for the most part, right? So again, it all goes back to how do I make my dog feel better so it acts better? Just kind of like how do we make our spouse, significant other, child feel better so that they don't act in a way that is not unpleasant, yes. Um, but again, we're, we are dealing with a species that doesn't speak English. And, um, so we have to learn a little bit more about the dog and how they, what their natural life is like. Uh, there's been a fad, um, in big cities to get big white fluffy dogs called great Pyrenees because they're pretty, they are pretty. And we've owned two. Um, and they're not, I mean, are they low-key dogs for the most part? Absolutely. But are they sedentary dogs? As in, I just want to lay on the sofa? No, they want to lay on your sofa and then they want to go to somebody else's sofa and lay on it. And then they want to go 200 yards away and lay down because they are, they move and settle and move and settle and move and settle. So you better be prepared to to walk a little bit because they like movement, but they don't want to go jogging for the most part. And granted, this is all, uh, there's exceptions to this. Of obviously, course. there's always, there, there right? is, there is the great Pyrenees who did not read the manual. Absolutely. Just like there's Labradors that didn't read the manual. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and considering, look at the Labradors that we have had over our years. I mean, we had two that did disaster search and rescue. And then I had my two yellow labs that were like, hey, can I just lay here all day? 
and chew on my bone. That's all I want to do. And those are great dogs. I mean, Stony, my Stony the Stoner is what we call Sweet him. Stony. Uh, Stony is just the best, 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 best family dog ever. Right. He's, He's just happy. I mean, let's face it. When a dog will jump a three and a half foot, 42 inch, whatever, um, gate that at the top of stairs and impale himself on one of the spike with a ball on it, you know, a metal ball. He impaled himself and was let, hanging there going, well, this is weird. Obviously, yeah. So I pulled him off. Bob and I had to pull him off of the that. And he went, do we have supper now? <laughs> and I no, brought him up. going to the emergency vet. We went to my sister's because she's the vet. And uh, so I, I brought him up here. And he's like, hey, everybody here to see me? Or I'm here to see. There was no pain, nothing. This dog never stopped wagging his tail. He was never unhappy. Wait, here, those are my intestines? Uh, you know, what was ironic is that hole was, there was no blood. There was nothing. There was hope. And that was it. It was just, boom. And I'm like, dude, you are so lucky. So, of course, she opened him up to make sure that there wasn't any tears inside. I think there was one little one. Um, but uh, but anyway, he was just Mr. Mr. Happy all the time. So maybe not so smart. But just the best dog ever, right? And but yet, is he? Would he be a great dog for family with small children? I don't know, because you know what? I don't think he knows where he is. His legs, his feet are. So his best playmate is our little Shih Tzu, and he throws her around with his nose all the time. She thinks it's a great game. I'm not sure a little toddler would think that was so much fun. So I'm going, okay, he's a great dog, but maybe he would not be the best with small children. But I also think he would handicap with small children. In other words, he would go, oh, this is a small kid. I should lay on the floor. Because he does that, again, he does that with our little Shih Tzu. Um, maybe not great play buddies until the kid gets older and more stable on their feet. But but again, so we have to look at the dog in front of us, obviously. So not all labs are going to make great virtual rescue dogs. Not all labs are going to make great family pets. Just like not all Malinois, because we have those too, are horrible family dogs. They're not. Oh my God, we have we have this stereotype. Now granted, again, I think the exception is that they're, you know, chill dogs. Um, and granted, the dogs we get, we don't want chill. Or no, I wanted one and, and I have one. That's my Labrador. Uh, the other dogs we have are not chill. Uh, right. They're n probably not going to be great family pets. But to say that every Malinois is not a great family pet is just not it, not accurate. But it's about the dog in front of us. But you can't you can't take away genetics. Um, but again, you have to just look at the dog in front of you. So when you talk uh, about we have to tackle the emotionality first. What do you typically so see as the the first step in that building a relationship with the dog, right? The emotional of feeling safe. Safety is always first and foremost to me. So that may mean the dog has to have their own place to go and, and hang out and just observe and watch. 
Or that could mean the dog has to be with you 24-7 to feel safe. It depends on the dog, right? It, it depends on, you know, where this dog is coming from. I just need a little space. I need to get to know everybody in the room versus, oh, hey, I need to be with you because you give me the confidence to feel safe. So that's uh, safety is the biggest thing, first and foremost, is safety. Uh, we need to be there advocate to make sure that they feel safe. So let's say you get a new dog and that night you have a party and there's 15 kids that come over for, you know, playing and cakes. My guess is that dog might not feel overly safe with 15 little children running around. Or it could be if they're like my Labrador, probably going, oh my God, I love kids. So the dog, could it could go either way. And part of that is just understanding that the dog is feeling a specific way and to honor that and go, okay, you're not liking this. I guess, I guess we don't have to do this. Why don't you go back in your room and chew on a bone? Oh, thank God. The number of people who have hugged me because I told them to stop walking their dog is amazing. It's an it's an it's a pretty good sized number that people have gone. You mean I don't have to walk my dog? And it's like mm, I've never taken my dog for a real walk around the block because number one, I've never worked lived on a block. I've always lived in the country, but I don't think it's very exciting for a dog to walk on a sidewalk and walk beside you and go, "I am a dog. You're the master." It's just not. Now, granted, there are some dogs that like to go, oh, hey, P-mail, I'm going to go hike on that mailbox. And that's fun, right? Oh, bunny poop. Let me roll on that. That could be fun. But if that, let's say they enjoy that, but it's right beside a busy street and they don't enjoy that, that's a compromised walk, right? So you have to go, okay, what is my dog telling me? So this is where we need to understand that they are speaking to us through body language, um, and, you know, go, okay, is there something we can do different that might make you happier? I mean, if I'm not a sports person, right? I moved to Tennessee to be closer to my sister, who's a veterinarian and her husband, and they are big, you know, Memphis, I guess it's Tigers, um, basketball, and they love that. And I'm like, you know, you want to go to the game tonight? I'm like, you know, I'm good. No, not really. No desire, right? So what she finds is entertaining, I just don't. I might get there someday if I'm, you know, exposed to it often enough and I do have fun during during the games or whatever. What I like to do um, is also different than what my husband likes to do. And what my border collie likes to do is very different than what my Labrador likes to do. When we go for a walk on our property, five acres, my Labrador goes and he sniffs and he poops and he pees and he's, and then he's like constantly checking in with me going, mama, where are you? Mama, where are you? And he leaves maybe 20 feet away and then he stops and he waits for me or he comes back to me. And then there's the border collie who never stops running. And I'm constantly having to check him. Dempsey here. Good boy. Free. Go sniff. Go play. He's out of sight. Dempsey here. Okay, thank you. Come back. And meanwhile, Stone, I'm telling Stoney, go, be free, hey, go somewhere. You could tie him to like, Dempsey. Yes, I could. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and then Dempsey, they'd just grab murder each tail. other. They'd wrap around a tree or something. Oh my God. Yeah. And, but they're, but they're different. 
right? right. I mean, Dempsey likes to chase balls and toys and discs in my lap. I throw when he goes, that was stupid. Is your retriever, I mean, he's retrieve intolerant. Is he also poultry intolerant? I'm not sure what you mean. Like, will he chase chickens or does he no, have like, a will he not dietary? eat? Will he not eat duck? I mean. <laughs> oh, he will. No, good. He will eat. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Oh, because we've had ducks and geese on our property, right? And he's kind of going, hey, what are those? And the border call, he's going, make him fly. I'm like, no, dude, you're not going to go make him fly. Actually, it will be nice if I end up with too many geese, Canadian geese, on my property. I can just say, Dempsey, go get them. And I'll I'll, I'll teach him to do that, right? Um, but the Labrador would go, friends. Right. I just want to <laughs> cuddle them. I just want to cuddle them, please. Um, so, so again, taking those differences into mind about not only what dog you get and, and that's the other thing is what you think you're getting and what you do get is often very different and what you're told you're getting, whether it's from a rescue, from a shelter, um, from a breeder might be different. Um, because especially in a shelter, their environment may be very different. Okay, you're going to adopt this dog and she's really shy and fearful. And then you get her home and she detoxes and the dog is like, I love life and I love people and I feel so safe. Let's, we're good. And the dog is magically a different dog because the environment is different. Or you take that, yeah, this dog loves people and then you bring it home and it becomes totally attached to one person and nobody else can come in the house. That's the one I see a lot, obviously. Um, because those are problem dogs. Those are the ones that I have to change emotion about. So how do you, you know, change emotion about that? Like give people like a thumbnail of, cause I think generally speaking, I would say people overthink classical conditioning uh, and are, yeah. because it feels wrong, right? It totally feels totally wrong does. to, to do yes, it, it generally if it you're does. doing it to try to fit, yes. fix, I'm using fix in quotes. Um, right to fix yeah. a situation to to affect change in a situation case in point client was referred to me by my sister here at her vet clinic because when he was sitting in the lobby the tech came out and the dog went oh, i barked and lunged at her and she went oh, i don't think so and of course a lot of shepherds will be pretty and I hate to use the protective word but I'm going to use it because they are shepherds and um he said, well, maybe if you put him in the back and I leave, you'll be able to handle him. Well, that was a big no also. So they had the guy come pick up the dog. And that was even after some medication. Uh, so they had the dog, the guy come pick up the dog. Well, I go to the gentleman's house and he's got him in an outdoor kennel. Definitely not going to judge. But he's got the dog in an outdoor kennel because he has his mother-in-law. His frail mother-in-law is now living with him. So he has had to change the way his dogs interact with the family. They have two little dogs inside, which the dog as a younger dog was very happy about. But he sent the dog off to one of those lovely training places and he came back a little different. Uh, so anyway, the dog is, I'm probably 20 feet away from the dog and he's in this beautiful, actually, outdoor covered air conditioned uh, or big fan on the back kennel. And I literally turned and faced him and he went, and he hit the kennel. And I went, yeah, this will be fun. So he said, watch this. So I walked up and he's banging on the kennel. And I'm going, I hope you can't get over that. He's a 110 pound, big, long haired German shepherd. 
And I walk up and I throw a meatball. And then I walk away. And I turn around and I face him and I'm walking up. Actually, I face him. I actually kind of grabbed up to him so I wasn't facing him directly. So, um, and I threw a meatball and I left. I did that about five times and pretty soon he started, stopped hitting the crate, the, the cage. He was still barking, but he stopped hitting the cage. And then about five more times later, I could see his tail start to wag as I started to approach. And he's looking, going, are you going to throw that meatball? And what was so profound was the owner looked at me and he went, oh, my God. I said, I didn't have to tell your dog to sit for him to be obedient to like me. In fact, that was the last thing I'm going to tell your dog to do. Um, And so anyway, that was just classical counter conditioning. The dog is barking and lunging and I'm giving him cookies. Oh, my God, aren't you rewarding the bark and lunge? And my comment is always, I'm changing emotion so he doesn't have to bark and lunge. Because at that point, his brain is in the, this is very simple, uh, simplistic, I should say. I'm sure there's a lot more going on that the neuroscientists would, would, would be able to tell you. But basically, at that point, the dog is so emotional, he's in his limbic system. At this point in time, he can't think. He just can't think. He's just reacting. The emotions are so out there that he can't think about anything. So eventually I changed his emotion and um, he was able to think. And then had I asked him to sit, which I tried, and he went, yeah, don't tell me that. I got a lip curl because I know sit had been trained with compulsion. Uh, So I said, yeah, that word has a bad meaning coming from me, maybe not from dad. Actually, dad couldn't get him to sit either. Um, But um, but anyway, so. I all I did was I approached and I got to the point that we could stand there right in front of his kennel and he's quiet. He even laid down some. And then what I did is I lifted my hand of, you know, head high to my head and he went and hit the kennel door again. And I threw a meatball, lift my hand, throw a meatball, lift my hand, throw a meatball, lift my hand, throw a meatball, lift my hand. He's sitting there going, well, you're going to throw that meatball again. I'm like, yes, I am. And he goes, cool, I love it when you lift your hand. Can you do that again, please? So that that's how classical conditioning works. People tend to do it wrong is they throw food and then they lift their hand or they right. throw food and lift their hand at the same time. One thing, bad thing, has to predict good thing. Now, granted, if this guy hadn't gotten better in a relatively short amount of time, I would have said, okay, we're, I'm not able to approach. I'm going to have to stay out here at 30 feet and you might have to reward him every time I turn and face him because I can't, I'm not making any headway here. I'm basically keeping him over his threshold instead of changing his emotions. So that's where we would do some desensitization and counter conditioning. And that means keeping the dog under threshold. The first example was classical counter conditioning. Karen, um, could you talk a little bit about thresholds just as a refresher for our audience? What what do you mean so, by that? So thresholds are basically when the dog goes, I can't do this anymore. Uh, either, uh, and this is where if a dog feels threatened, they can do five things. Fight, flight, freeze, fidget, or fawn. Fawn's kind of a new one. We I used to call it appeasing. Now I call it fawning because I like the thing of five Fs. 
And the fawning is basically that dog that's jumping all over you and licking your face and, and grabbing your hands and, and, and wiggling and submissive urination. And, oh, my God, please love me, love me, love me. And that's pretty much, I hate to throw them under the bus, but that's a lot of doodles that I see. A lot. Boston. Or Boston's really interesting. I haven't seen a Boston for a long time. And the little Boston that I did see Granted, remember, behavior person, the little Boston that I did see got so over aroused, he would bite his mother, remember, Boston Terrier, on the chest. Little dog could jump chest high and yes. get her where it really hurts. Um, so um, anyway, um, but that's interesting. I wish he were a fawner because he was definitely a fighter, which is Ugh, that. Less idea. Um, but but um, so when a dog is over their threshold, they kind of turn into one of the probably the fight where they lift their lip, they growl, they snarl, they snap, they lunge, whatever. Flee is they turn around and run. Freeze is they hunker down and go, oh, my God, if maybe like I'm a baby rabbit and I just stay here and nobody will know I'm here. Fidget is when they're fooling around and they kind of go, oh my God, I'm going to jump all over you or I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to wiggle and I'm going to, you know, try to make nice. But then that, that kind of is also fawning. Uh, fawning is more obnoxious. You will probably get more kissy face out of that, more licky, 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 maybe even some submissive urination. Um, and so obviously those last two aren't horrible, but it is something to consider that the dogs are not that the dogs are emotional when they're doing that so there's an underlying emotion and a lot of times i get called in to help fix that doodle english cream golden that's jumping all over people because they're fawning because they're anxious because they're right. emotional and the people so again, have, if if your clients are like mine they're like no i I just want to fix the it. jumping up. And yeah. I'm like, right. But it's the, the, the behind the scenes piece is yeah. what is what's making, like, if we change why the jumping up's happening, then we, and then we often eliminate the behavior. Right. We didn't even have to do anything mean. Uh, no, um, you know, and this is where sniffing comes into play. And classical counter conditioning, right? Mm -hmm. A stranger opens the door and throws food on the floor and leaves. A stranger opens the door, throws food on the floor and leaves. Stranger, and they do that pretty soon. The dog hears the door open and they look down and go, oh, where's the cookies? And so you've immediately eliminated the jumping up because you've given the dog an alternative behavior and you've changed the emotion as well. So it's a very fascinating piece. I didn't have to teach my anxious dog to sit. Because if I teach an anxious dog to sit and they're still anxious, it's not going to be a happy sit. Um, or I'm not going to, the doorbell rings, I'm not going to take my dog who wants to go, I have to make them love me and make them go to their bed. Yeah, that's dicey. That's a, what a lot of people do. Ring the doorbell, send them to their place. Ring their doorbell, send them to their place. And that's all great, except if you're not taking into account the emotion behind why it might work, but a lot of times it's going to again, like that little that um, uh, beach ball under the water. It's going to pop back up because we didn't address 
Right. And you're going to have to continue to reinforce and reinforce and reinforce because the dog can't learn in that state of mind. Right. They can't retain the information. They can't retain They're just trying to survive it. They're not resilient about that. And and again, a lot of that is, is, and I I will never use the word hardwired again, Um, which is funny because probably, you know, six months ago I was using it, but I watched a webinar on the, the plasticity of the brain and it was human brain, but guess what? Human brain, dog brain, slower. Um, And I think that, if people would take into consideration, would be huge. That dogs and humans' brains are very similar. Very similar. Now, granted, they use their nose a lot more than we do. We use our eyes, typically. Um, But um, this this webinar was talking about the plasticity of the brain and that nothing is ever hardwired. Now, granted, there are limitations to how much you can change the brain uh if we if we could make every dog what we wanted them to be they'd all be usar dogs or they'd all be agility dogs or they'd all be fat dumb and happy labradors that lay on the bed in front of the fireplace um but we can't because that's not taking into the emotion it would be like us walking around and we're all robots we all have our own personalities I don't want to play basketball. <laughs> kind of a given. I'm kind of old, fat, and have bad knees. It's not going to work very well. Um, so, so I can't do that. And even if I had done all the training to learn to do it, it would still not be, be very good. So do you find because when people I try to done. use a training model that it actually sets back that emotionality? It can. For sure, if they're training the wrong thing and they're not addressing emotion first. And granted, I do think there is some level of training. In fact, when I'm I talked about uh, building confidence in my webinar and what I'm going to teach in my class is there's three different types, at least, of confidence. There's social confidence, whether it's social with other dogs, social with other people. There's environmental confidence. I'm comfortable at home. I'm I'm comfortable with sounds. I'm comfortable with sights. I'm comfortable going to new places and, you know, going down the slippery slide and going upstairs. I'm very environmentally confident. And then there's confidence in skills, in learning, confidence in learning. And sometimes each one of those categories of confidence can carry the other. So I look at our search dogs. Do they have to be socially confident with other people? No. Those people they're looking for, at least the live find dogs, they could care less about those people. It's about the reinforcement that's going to follow. Right? So, you know, do they have to be socially confident if they're doing if they're doing human remains? And obviously they don't have to do have any of that, but they have to be able to work around other people. Do they have to be dog social? Absolutely not. My husband's dog that was with him at 9-11 was extremely dog aggressive when I first met him. But she learned, she learned that, oh my God, if I'm with other dogs, I get to go find things, find people, and I get to play toys. Woo! Six flags. Awesome. So, and she was also very environmentally confident. She could, I mean, you know, 
She was very confident. She could, uh, when they assessed her, they used a logging chain and a piece of tin and they beat the logging chain against the tin to see how she responded to sounds and movement. And she grabbed the logging chain to play tug. This is the same dog that put the house on fire. So yeah. Uh, she she sounds good. like a great dog. I would love she to meet that dog. She Well, they're all gone now. Um, but um, she was actually killed in the line of duty, sadly enough. Wow. Uh, but um, that's very sad. I'm sorry to hear that. She was in 2007. So she was on the pile at New York City in 2001, obviously, and she was killed January 7th of um, 2007 uh, when a two story structure that she was on, um, a piece of it slipped down and she went, fell two stories, broke her back. Uh, Anyway, um, it was horrible. But, um, um, you know, so the, and then there's the skill thing, Mike Golden that I competed with hard and heavy throughout the United States was not people social, definitely not dog social, not overly environmentally social. Uh, she was a little worried about sounds and especially after she got older, it's one of the reasons I retired her other than the, the cancer. So she was sounds a little sound sensitive. She's probably okay. What I call third, three dimensionally, you know, wobble boards, that kind of stuff, you know, going up and down stairs, that kind of thing. Um, but she was darn good at her skills. So those skills, when I went into the ring, I had to have that predictability. This is what I do every time I go in the ring and she goes, I got it. I know what we're doing. Awesome. And that is also a level of building confidence is building some of that predictability. So yes, you know, because it because it makes it so that you can navigate what we what we're still working on and what we can do. So right. So the dog who you're working on, stranger danger, who gets to the point that in an open space where they have at least 10 feet, they're comfortable. That doesn't mean that when you're walking through a parking lot between cars, that they're comfortable with the person putting something in their trunk at the grocery store. And so navigating, okay, well, can you port that same skill, the thing you're good at into a narrow space is another, another whole part of conditioning that dog to the environment and to what they're being asked to navigate. And and granted, I mean, that is something, um, I mean, I can easily see that as we could use changing emotion and just use classical conditioning and not expecting anything out of the dog. That's what I would call a transport, which means here's a piece of of cheese or pepperoni and you're going to suck on it or you're going to lick this Kong as we walk through this narrow space in the parking lot. The dog doesn't have to do anything but except lick and chew. Or I can teach my dog a nose target where the dog puts their nose on my hand and the dog is thinking, I must do this behavior because it makes me feel good because it's been trained with positive reinforcement. And I love doing it. And I'm going to do this as I walk through the cars because it makes me feel good. Right. Like and how do often it. do you think it's the dogs going, okay, this one, I always get right. Right. Yeah. Like this yeah. is a safe behavior. I always get this one right. Um, a nose touch and hold for a lot of dogs 
can be crazy helpful going down an elevator. You're like, just put your nose there. And if somebody comes in who has beard and sunglasses and is loud and is smells like cigar smoke, we're going to turn toward the back of the elevator because that just became a significantly different ask. Yeah. Or it may be that you have that dog that says, I can't turn my back on that. That is scary as heck. Right. So I got to keep my eye on him. So, you know, again, this is what is best for that particular dog. Or could it be the guy is the door opens and you've got your dog and he's a little worried and you go, oh, dude, if you're getting on, I'm getting off. Yeah. The honey bunch is a no answer. I'll take the stairs. Uh, So, yeah, there's lots of that. Well, I was also going to say, too, is that sometimes what I find is that I'm working with a dog and I'm I'm trying to work on building confidence, right? So we're doing a lot of, you know, treat tossing. And yeah, look, there's a person 50 yards away or whatever, you know, have a treat. What I find is that, and I don't know if you have found this to be true, but a lot of it just depends on the individual dog. Some dogs are really good at going, oh, oh I get it. And they boost right. the confidence and then they begin to generalize. Oh, it doesn't. Um, so yeah, I've been scared of, of, you know, guys with beards or I've been scared with guys or guys with beards. Now I'm not scared. I don't have to be scared because I can generalize it. That's okay. But there's other dogs that remain, that don't have that ability to generalize nearly as much. And so what I'm finding with some of those dogs is I have to work a lot more on any individual situation. It takes a lot more to get that dog to generalize the idea of safety and to generalize the idea of of building confidence. And I was wondering um, if you had found that to be true and what suggestions you might have there. Yeah, and and a lot of that is what I call the 51st date dogs, right? Groundhog day dogs. Um, Right, the person inside in the living room, they go to the bathroom, they come back. Yes, they come back and whoop. Oh my gosh. Yes, that person in the living room. So if I have those dogs, that just tells me that more than likely the dog is still close to its threshold. Mm-hmm. So I could do less. I could increase distance, decrease um, the um, increased distance or decrease the sound, whatever the trigger might be. Uh, let's say it's, it's scary men. So instead of working with scary men, I might work with a lot of not scary women and then scary women and then not scary men and then scary men. So I would, I would go backwards and basically try to condition um, that desensitize and counter condition to something that is much less of a problem. And that might help them generalize a little bit better. Meanwhile, I'm also going to look at the other domains of confidence of, is this dog getting enough sleep? Ah, that's a biggie right. for me. How's their nutrition? Um, Are they getting good exercise? Yes, how's their nutrition? Exactly. Uh, do they need meds? Uh, right. That's a biggie. And of course, that's something that's really difficult for us <laughs> as non-veterinarians so we, to. We had a to, dog come right. in for a positive reinforcement-based board and trained to prepare for the second baby in the family. And the Uh dog was a friend of afraid of men with beards, right? Well, we're in a college town. Ah. Half the women have beards. Like there's, there's beards everywhere. There's beards and skinny jeans and flannel and, and hair buns, messy buns. 
everywhere. So everywhere. So while the dog lived with us and we were doing, doing the board and train, I asked Christopher to grow a beard. So the dog like loved him clean shaven. Right. And every day Chris's beard got a little longer. And by the end he was like, no, that's Chris. I love him. And I'm like, right. But he has a beard. And he was like, I don't care. That's Chris. I love him. And I, and and you could see that's all it took. I did a little bit of like, can you look at the dude in the beard? But right. this dog just having someone, and I wouldn't say that it's going to be that simple with every dog, but for this dog, just watching the progression was enough that he went, oh, that's just a beard. I'm like, right. So you've been. So basically you just did nothing but what we call desensitization, right? Yeah. It's just, there's yes. the, there's a the scary thing that, and it's not so scary. And then there's a little bit more scary and it's still not so scary. And there's a little bit more scary because there's more hair and it's not so scary. You didn't have to counter condition anything. The dog just went, oh, huh. and, and in all honesty, when I got my board collie, um, he lived his first 10 months in a 10 foot by 10 foot pen, had been nowhere in his life. He chased cars like a son of a gun, uh, had very severe handler issues, um, still does to a certain extent. Um, But when I was taking him around, I just basically took him places and hung out. I remember going to, I remember the first time I went to Lowe's, I think it was, and I tried to take him inside and he went not happy at the sign of a baby cart and this and that. Probably had him, I don't know, less than a week, two weeks. At that point, I was still trying to learn who my dog was. And then I went, okay. So then the next week, I got him and I put him in my car and we stayed, we opened the hatch and we were at the end of the parking lot. And he saw people going into Home Depot and Lowe's or whatever, wherever it was. I can't remember. There were like three things in there. And he saw a bunch of people and it was raining. So he saw um, umbrellas. And really, he's not a fearful dog by any means. He just never had seen this stuff. So after we did that for a little while, um, and of course, then he would see cars driving by, thankfully, relatively slow in the parking lot. And, you know, at first, oh, my God, it's movement. What should I do with that? I'm like, dude, you don't have to do anything. You're fine. And I didn't give him a treat. I didn't do anything. I just, I just sat there, and which was hard for him. He had plenty of things to watch. So he was entertained. Uh, I didn't have to do anything. So I just did a lot of desensitization, acclimation. And he turned into, I love people. I, I love other dogs. It really, it's not that I love people and I love other dogs. I'm extremely tolerant. And if they want to play, I will, but eh, I'd rather do other things. It's been really interesting watching Dempsey's yeah. transformation. Because oh. even in the beginning, his attachment to people was even really nebulous. Like yeah. he was just in his own head and didn't really, <laughs> didn't really care about any like yes. there was there was he doesn't it was hard to figure out like okay dude what lights you up he was like what'd you say like just no speaking the deutsch like it totally. didn't even occur to him that people could be rewarding yeah like he didn't even agree. have enough data to go yeah. i like that right the only thing he liked when i got him was a tennis ball because he had lived in this pen with a tennis ball he had no use with me mm-hmm. or for me. Even if I had a tennis ball, once he got the tennis ball, he said, I don't need you. I am good. I, I can throw this myself. 
I can bounce this myself. Mm -hmm. I can chew on this myself. Don't need you. So that was the first struggle was building that, you know, I am valuable because also if I touched him, (laughs) then that was a, that was definitely a withdrawal from the bank account. Right. Yeah. Um, Because he was very, don't touch my collar. I still have to pay him occasionally for letting me grab his collar. Um, It doesn't surprise um, me. No. Uh, And I also taught him that, you know, to bring the caller to me. So when I give a hand cue and a verbal gotcha, he goes, okay, I feel good enough. I'm going to put my caller in your hand and you can hold me. And if I say gotcha and I see that hesitation, I go, I need to condition it again. Mm -hmm. So I go back, gotcha. And I grab the caller and I throw a frisbee. Gotcha. Go. Throw a frisbee. Gotcha. Go. Throw a frisbee. So I do that counter conditioning that way. So, uh, so when you're talking but, about doing counter conditioning, I'm sure you're talking about spend eight hours throwing string cheese <laughs> for the dog for offering you their collar. That's how that works, right? And and, and, and it sounds to me like she pre-acted. That was in this. That was in sarcasm. Well, I did font. eventually. For yeah. Sure. yeah, I did eventually for sure. Um, but in the beginning, I actually used a his favorite thing was if i grabbed his collar he got to play tug so i put tug on cue nice touch his collar strike play tug out touch his collar strike play tug out touch his collar strike play tug out i tried it with food and you know what i did because food wasn't valuable enough what i did is i poisoned the food we should explain uh, that. So when we're talking, yeah, about I was going to say, hold on a food, second here. We we need a little explanation here. So poisoning the food, I would say that and maybe we all have a little bit different definition. I would say the food was being used to bribe the dog, and as yeah. such, the and the dog was over threshold, and so the food actually became a punishment. Correct. So, so the dog's like, no, 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 no. I don't. I wouldn't even say it wasn't even a bribe because the behavior of grabbing his collar certainly came before the food, right. but I reverse conditioned it. If you're going to grab my collar, which I hate, and you're going to give my give me food, which is yeah, pretty soon you're going to grab my collar, which I hate, and I hate food now. Right. Versus, I'm going to grab my collar, and you get to have a piece of chicken. He didn't care if it was chicken or not because he was not food motivated when I got him. Um, he was toy motivated. That's all he'd done. (laughs) So I had to learn how to play with, I had to learn how to train with toys. I had to shape a lot of behaviors with toy play, which meant I had to teach him to play with toys in a way that was functional. Oh, safely. Don't even get me wrong. And and like the little border collie that I have now, pasta. I don't know if you've either one of you been watching him, but oh, and gee, uh, no, he's he's fascinating. He's Dempsey on steroids. Yeah. But he's got a lot of but he's got a lot of fear. Yes. But he has a lot of drive. And he will put his teeth on me. He but he has great bite inhibition because he comes from hurting lines. Dempsey is did not have great bite inhibition. One of the reasons I did not career change him to be a working conservation or use our dog. Because I felt if he were in the wrong hands, he would end up with a bite. Right. So that's why he's mine. Uh, Asta, on the other hand, I'm not sure. I'm working really hard to save this little puppy's life. And there's a lot. He's he's very. He's yeah, very, the video I've seen, there's a lot that's yeah. very sketchy. There's a, 
yeah, you should see the work I just did on resource guarding. It was fascinating. And, yeah, and no, his, his just, resource yeah. guarding is pretty. Oh, yeah. I, I just did another session. And instead of offering uh, food, if I offered him the same thing, I was able to easily nice. transfer. Congratulations. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it was fun. Good. It was lovely. Um, okay. So training versus behavior, which is what we started this whole conversation about. Um, and again, I look at the pet dogs, which is the majority of what you're dealing with. When I think of training for a family, I think teaching your dog not to bolt through the door, which means teaching them to wait. And I don't care if they sit, lay down, stand there, don't give a heck. Just don't. I just, I'm going to reward that, right? I'm going to open the door. I'm going to put my hand on the door and you get a cookie. If you're sitting, standing, or just laying down, I don't care. I'm going to put my hand on the door. You get a cookie back there away from the door by a couple of feet. And then I'm going to gradually open that and good, you're going to get a cookie. And then I'm going to gradually open it again. Good. You're going to get a cookie. And pretty soon the dog goes, oh my God, everything about that door. I mean, I get a cookie, but I really love it when mommy opens the door and I get cookies back here. Now granted, you may need a, a target for them to stay on, but you know, a mat works great, a platform works great, whatever. That might be helpful. So not bolting out the door, a recall. I think that's ideal. In all honesty, most people that I talk to want to be able to walk their dog and their dog doesn't want to be walked. So that yeah. convincing people what is in your dog's best interest may not be walking your dog. So we have to supplement walking with what? Some fun games. Uh, and that could be recall work. Uh, that could be hunting for food, for toys, for target odors, for scent work, scent work, whatever. Uh, it could be puzzles. It could be um, butt scratches. I don't know. Um, what does your dog like to do? You know, lay in the sun versus go for a walk. So sometimes teaching people that not walking their dog is in their dog's best interest is hard because I think so many people have glorified, we have to walk our dog. We have to show them we're in control. And I'm like, yeah, no, no. And not all dogs want to go for a walk. I, I remember not so much now, but a group of dogs that we had before, if we opened the front door, and I think I had six dogs in the house at that time, and I opened the front door, two of them would willingly go out. The others would go, yeah, we're good. <laughs> I'm good. I don't need to go out in the in the big bad world. Nope, I'm fine. I'll stay in my little house, in my living room, and I'll go to the, my backyard where I'm safe. But going out there in the front yard, mm, yeah, no. So they never went. Except when it was vet day, right? Um, so anyway, I think that's a big thing. So not bolting, come in when called. Um, enrichment, mental stimulation, mental satisfaction. What does your dog like to do? And embracing that is key. Sleep, I mentioned it earlier. On average, dogs, adult dogs need 16 hours. Puppies. Oh, see, I've read 18. Well, 18 to 24 uh, under... under. Uh, I was talking about adult dogs, 18. 16 to 18, I think is fair. Um, but but when COVID hit, I started they didn't seeing get all any sleep. They didn't get any I sleep. I agree. People, yeah, people were all at home. 
And they're like, oh, hey, let's take Fido for a walk. And the dog is going, do I have to go for another walk? I know. I Every dog was like, can you please go away? Yes. I mean, it's like Stoney, right? When Stoney's in the living room, and if I even think about standing up, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, I'm just going to go take a pee. Really? I'm going to go get some more tea. You don't have to follow me. He says, but yes, I do. So I know after a a day or four, three or four hours of me, like this morning, I got up and I worked on my um, um, PowerPoints for APDT. Uh, and um, he, he was playing with the Shih Tzu, but every time I got up, He's, what are we doing? What are we doing? I know he wasn't sleeping. So right. when I left, he went back to his crate and I guarantee he is sawing a log right now. I guarantee he's like, I needed that. I mean, four hours this morning of not sleeping, which is what his norm is. Um, so he needs more sleep. So he doesn't get to come out. And I hate this sounds awful. He doesn't get to come out and harass the Shih Tzu all the time because the Shih Tzu needs sleep too. And he needs sleep. <laughs> and you don't want them to learn to fight. You want to keep right. them playing, yes. Yeah. Which means they each have yeah. to be well rested enough to yeah. to receive, understand, and appropriately respond to subtle body language right. signaling yes. of like, okay, you're biting me too hard, right? Versus the lab and the border collie, Stony and Dempsey. Dempsey doesn't need the rest; he needs the work. His decompression is not sniffing walking his is running he's the peloton dog right because for some people i don't know those people for some people that's relaxing not me you know no, definitely not me um but for him he's got to have that so that's why thankfully we live on five acres now and he gets to romp and and there's lots of woods and trees and things for him to sniff and squirrels and and now Canadian geese and we have a we built a pond which will hopefully soon be a sniff spot. Yay! With the a pond puppy looks amazing. It's going to. It's going to. Uh we were supposed to have somebody start on our training studio on Monday. They still haven't started. Maybe they have today. Um, we've got a, just a, a small building going up so that we can have lessons there so that we can do some semi-privates, that kind of stuff, and train some of the dogs that we have, like stuff. Um, and our own dogs, um, because right now the best training place we have is on our back porch where there are wasps everywhere. So for the average family yeah. who let's say they they're working with a trainer, they like their trainer but they're just not making progress, right? The dog is just not getting it. Would you say that then the next consideration is, hey, the emotional part of that dog? Absolutely. Yeah. And would yeah, you say that sure. I I personally would say most beginning trainers um, with a stable dog who who isn't super sensitive, they're going to be great. Like they can totally help right. you with all the basics where Agreed. you and I and Julie can come in and be superheroes is when it's more complex than that. Cause yeah. I, a lot of times get people like we've been to three or four trainers, we've done all the yes. things and it's still not better. Why are you any different? And I'm like, well, right. because I'm going to start with what kind of oils in the motor. Yeah. Right. And look to all of the underpinnings of what's happening first to make sure right. that we're not 
changing a transmission when it's that we have a flat tire. Right. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, and and granted, it's it's hard sometimes to go into one of those clients that has had three or four trainers. It's real easy when they're doing it all wrong, right? When they're doing, you know, the the punitive stuff and you know, you know, we have to make our dog sit and we have to show them who's boss and we have to be the alpha, which is all we, we all know is bunk. But it's easy to follow those because there's a lot of things that we can change to make it better, but it's also not easy because we've already got a damaged dog. But well, and we also you know, have an owner who's conflicted, who's, like the vet's telling them correct. one thing and the, that trainer yes. told them this and their internet search told them that and this yes. book told them that. Right. right. I, you're, I, you're right. I mean, I many times go, you're right. All of those things are conflicting. Let's see right. what works for the dog. Like, let's yes. surely I start with how is it for the dog? Right. Right. So I'm a motorcyclist. Yeah. And one of the things you do with a motorcycle, because you don't carry a spare tire, ah. is you do a check of the systems. How it, How is the bike today? Because entropy ah. happens just when it's sitting there in the garage. Like if it sits for a week. It's going to change. It can suddenly have an oil leak. It can have a brake leak. Things break down over time. They oxidize. So right. so I do a check of the whole motorcycle and the major systems before I swing a leg over and ride to Memphis. But we don't do that with our dogs. We just go, okay, no, we we're don't. starting. And I'm like, okay, whoa, right. whoa, 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 whoa. What, right. what did you see? I'll give you an example. I have a really sweet little dog on my service right now who's afraid of the husband. He's really afraid of, well, he's kind of xenophobic. Like he's afraid of everything except mom. Um, and in the first consult, dad reaches over and pets this dog. Every oh. bit of body language oh. was like, no, oh. thank you. And then picks oh. him up and moves him to his lap. And the <gasps> the dog was just this side of catatonic. Yeah. Like I I, so, I had a client like that too. And it's just like, okay, we need to wind down to basics. Like, let's just right. talk about some very simple body language that you can read right here, right now. Right. 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 And again, remembering that, is- that the human part deserves grace too. Um, Absolutely. He yes. was not trying to torture this little dog. But he right. definitely no. was not improving his relationship with that dog. Right. right. Because yeah. from right. the dog's perspective, I, he was like, please no. Right. Please, right. please don't do that. Um, and it doesn't like, mean the dog will never do it. Right. But it does, it did, it did make major withdrawals yeah. from the bank account of trust yeah. every time he yeah. did that. And it's just a right. matter of do do- some dogs get better? Um, you know, I call that assault on the first day. Um, but, um, and I've had dogs like that. Well, you know, we, we brought the puppy home. We all agreed to get it. And then we brought the puppy home when my dog was, my husband was out of town, um, and uh, on business. And then when he came back, the dog is, is, has been barking at him, you know, and it hasn't gotten better in two months. And we've had these trainers, yada, yada, yada. And you know what? For I had three of them, like, bam, 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 right in a row. We rehomed two of the dogs. Right. One, yeah. to, one to a family that didn't have a didn't have a man in the house, which was fine. 
and the other one to uh, a, a family that the husband was there when the dog was brought home. The husband did not leave. <laughs> and the husband let the dog do all the approaching first instead of the I'm going to make you like me kind of sort of thing. Uh, which is what the one that had traveled had done. Well, I'm here and I'm going to make you like me. I'm going to take you for walks. I'm going to feed you. And the dog is like, you know what? This is not, I'm just not buying this. So when we went to a new home where the husband was, and I'm going to use the term respective of the dog's wishes based on his body language, uh, within, you know, two weeks, the dog is like, sure, that's cool. <laughs> and uh, so, and the other one, we actually were end, ended up being able to, to fix it so that dad was a, a good person as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely about the being able to talk to the people and the family that we rehomed the dogs with. Um, they were totally on board with it because dad was like, well, I'm done. By that time, of course, I already get the, I'm done. I've done everything I know right. how to. I'm quit. Everybody's like, feeling I get hurt it. and it may not be recoverable. Right. Exactly. And, okay. uh, and so we, two out of those three, we ended up rehoming the dog. The other one we fixed and that, that was great. But yeah, definitely we need to address the, the, the people side emotionally. We need to absolutely validate the human's feelings. Absolutely. And it's really hard to contradict them when, well, I just want this dog to respect me. I, I want to be the boss. I'm like, yeah. You know, instead of being the enforcer in the relationship, maybe we should be the reinforcer in the relationship. And they're like, what? I like that. I like that terminology. And I think that makes it very, makes people stop and think and maybe makes them a lot more approachable. Oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's kind of intriguing. Be the giver. Be the guy that does all the great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that works and sometimes it's too late, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like you're in a bad relationship and you, you know, you've separated and you come back together and you know it got worse. And so you go, Yeah, we're just done. <laughs> we're done. And that's okay. And sometimes, too. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes you separate and you come back together, and, oh my God, this is gonna work this time. And it does. So again, there is never a cookie cutter, never a cookie cutter approach to anything. Do I have cookie cutter protocols, I guess you could call them. Absolutely. Yeah. But which one do I apply to which person? Like the gal that I met yesterday, uh, just teaching her how to reinforce her dog was huge. Right. I mean, granted, the one that we worked with had just come back from a day camp. Every day we had for five days had gone to an e-collar trainer. So ironically, on a Friday, she messaged me, she said, you know, Tilly has just been uh, has just been such a nervous wreck since uh, you know since I, and granted she was out of town as well uh, since I've been home and I said well what else has changed because I knew where the dog had been and she says well you know I, you know I don't know she never got it and I didn't say well this is possibly because of the e collar training your dog had um, but what I did see was the dog was hesitant to offer behavior initially but she's a young dog. So we were able to get through that. And I was actually able to show the client that her dog was happy offering behavior without being made to do the behavior. And she loved it. Um, The adult dog, the older dog, three-year-old, who had been trained traditionally, right? Yeah, there was no, he was like, I'm, you're suspicious. 
you don't want me to do anything. You want me to just do things. So I really had to micro shape him. I mean, if he even looked, uh, I was trying to get him on a platform. If he even looked at the platform, dude, awesome. Yes. Good boy. Good boy. Good boy. Um, and I had done that with the puppy too, but this guy was much more suspicious because he's been, he's just been not allowed to make decisions on his own. Right. Um, beautiful dogs, lovely human being. Uh, and she's going to get it. And she's like, I just love this training without a leash. I said, you know what? The first time I went to the ring with my golden about two weeks beforehand, I went, shoot, I have never put a leash on my dog. She doesn't even know how other than to get into the ring. Um, I said, she doesn't know, you know, or to take her to take her places to go practice. I always trained without a leash. I said, and oh my God, I have to be able to do all these skills on a leash. I had to learn and she had to learn how to navigate a leash. So Kay Lawrence had that problem. So Kay does all of her training off leash. So she looked up what the obedience regulations were at Crufts. Yeah. And she does novice level on a thread and it counts. Why not? So the dog never knows it's there. Yes. But again, going back to the original reason you asked me here, the difference between training and behavior in a nutshell is emotion, you know, skills versus emotion. And if you get emotion first, skills come easily. Yeah. Um, right. You know, if I, I I have a dog that I want to do sports with, the first thing I do is I want to make them happy in the ring. Woo! We're going to go in there and we are going to party. And I had to do that whole, that predictability. This is what it looks like when we go in the ring. So again, it's all about the emotion um, and changing that because then we can change behavior if we need to. But if we address the emotion first, sometimes the behavior we didn't like just goes away because their tendency was based in emotion instead of behavior well and a lot of times those three trainers you worked with before the dog actually does know the skill they just can't perform it under stress right correct well thank you so much for coming and talking to us about this and you are welcome we will um we will have you back i'm sure so thank you for joining us karen um on the your family dog podcast and we will see you all next time Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.